Welcome to the Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and the crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews presented by IV Creative. It's a perspective on the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective. You could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and I'm flying solo today, but shout out to the crew wherever they are. Hope everybody's enjoying this great Memorial Day weekend, and of course, taking some time to think about all those who died in the service of this country, who gave their lives in support for our freedom, so just make sure you take some time to remember them while you're grilling up some burgers and cooking out over the weekend to spend the time with family and friends. Want to give a shout out again to all of our listeners for supporting us on our host on Red Circle, interacting with us on social media. We really appreciate all of the support that you're giving us. And as we head now into the summer of 2021, want to give another shout out as well to all the graduates, high school and college alike. And of course, heading into this summer, we're going to be having what we call the summer series. But we're going to do a number of different bonus episodes focused on the songs and the albums and also even movies that shaped hip hop culture heading into the summers over these last 30 years. So we got a couple of treats coming up for y'all later on this summer. So be on the lookout for that. As we always say here in the vault, our motto is hashtag open the vault, hashtag nothing but the classics. And today we're going to go back 30 years once again. And we're going to go back over to the West Coast and take a look at the second and final studio album of N.W.A., their album, Niggas for Life, stylized on the album cover as Ethel for Zaggin, Niggas for Life backwards to help dodge some of the censors, which N.W.A. at this point in time had been plenty aware of during their very short, heightened and explosives career. (laughs) being a problem on their debut, which was Straight Outta Compton, the classic album released in 1988. This was released on May 28th, 1991, and was recorded between 1990 and 91 at Audio Achievements in Torrance, California, once again. Runtime of 55 minutes and 35 seconds on none other than Ruthless and Priority Records. The executive producer, Eazy-E, Production on the album all handled by either Dr. Dre or DJ Yella or a combination of the two. This was N.W.A.'s second album. Came after their EP, 100 Miles and Running, which came out in 1990. Also, this was the first full-length album that did not feature work by Ice Cube and also Arabian Prince, who left after Straight Outta Compton in 1989. And Ice Cube released his classic debut album, America's Most Wanted, just a year before, to critical acclaim. So N.W.A. was working on a shortened roster made up of Dr. Dre, DJ Yella, Eazy-E, and MC Ren. And writing on this album also, not having any vocal contributions, was the legendary D.O.C., who, after releasing his classic album in 1989, No One Does It Better, had a car accident which left his voice beyond repair, effectively ending his recording career, but left him to go on to write many different classic records for 
many of Ruthless and also then Death Row Records to critical acclaim. As we head into Niggas for Life with this second album, this was the last one that would be N.W.A.'s album. After the album, Dr. Dre left and went to co-found Death Row with Suge Knight. Also took with him D.O.C., who became a member of the Death Row camp as well. Afterwards, Ruthless continued. MC Ren put out a couple of solo projects. Eazy-E put out a solo project, and Yella did some producing afterwards, but in effect, it was the end of N.W.A., and within a couple of years, it was the end of Ruthless Records. Even though Ruthless added a group such as Bone, who would have success in the mid-90s into the late 90s, it pretty much was the end of the record label with its prime act, N.W.A., no longer in effect. So, Niggas for Life, 18 tracks, including five different interludes, a little bit under an hour. And everyone remembers that the writing forces behind Straight Outta Compton were MC Ren and also Ice Cube. Now, Cube, as many people know, was the soul of the group. As described by DOC in an interview that he did, he really not only penned a lot of those hard-hitting lyrics that were gangster in nature, but also told a tale about living in the ghetto but it was also a mirror into black America, something that we would see with Cube's pen repeatedly throughout his career, but namely into America's Most Wanted and then also his second album, Death Certificate. With him gone, the majority of the writing fell on the pen of MC Ren and DOC. DOC penning a lot of the lyrics for Dr. Dre, who stepped up and took a large rapping role in addition to his production role here as well. But it was a little bit different than Straight Outta Compton. And in examining this album over the last week, uh, this was probably only the second time that I listened to this all the way through. Uh, I definitely heard Straight Outta Compton a lot more throughout my life when it first came out and then throughout my life. But I had not heard Niggas for Life that often. And after listening to it, I think I understand why I wasn't listening to this at nine years old. <laughs> this is an album that is hard hitting. Uh, it is an album that is, to me, markedly different than what you heard out of Straight Outta Compton. And it's the album that when we talk about N.W.A.'s work, their discography and catalog, that doesn't really receive a lot of pub. And commercially, it didn't really receive a lot of pub either, mainly because of the content, which we'll get into in just a second. I do want to point out one thing, interestingly enough, that happened before this album came out. In 1991, Billboard began using SoundScan technology to determine the composition of their charts and were doing this differently in regards to what they used to do before. Before, they would call up record stores around the country, speak to managers to determine the best-selling albums at the store, and mostly this was all done with the honor system because stores and labels would find ways to be able to game the system and report numbers that weren't necessarily accurate. Well, when the SoundScan methodology came into play, there was no way for anybody to game the system anymore. This was uh, presented as an accurate way to show what consumers were buying and the records they were buying and to remove any type of game in the system. Billboard would then rely on those numbers and then they would connect through SoundScan, receiving it through the record store's computer and then would report the numbers weekly, just like the same way they did in the box office with films. And this changed things immensely. Why? 
because this album was part of the first set of albums that really you started getting those true numbers of what people were actually buying. Now, instead of, you know, seeing like some numbers that may not necessarily be accurate, you started seeing albums rocket up on the charts. Niggas for Life were one of those that when it debuted, it debuted at number two for a hip hop record and sold just over 900,000 copies in a week. And then the next week it was number one. <laughs> it just goes to show you how the game sort of changed. And what it also did is change the way how record labels would then negotiate with artists afterwards, because then they had to find a way to be able to win. That is sort of the climate that is heading into this album, but into the content of the album itself with no ice cube gone the heavy lifting on this album definitely fell on MC Ren. Now, if you're a hip-hop fan, and if you follow the game long enough, everyone knows just how talented MC Ren was. MC Ren himself, while not as heralded a member of the group as Eazy-E, Cube, or Dr. Dre, has a career that many could be proud of and has a pen that was rivaled with many during that particular time, any one of his contemporaries. He wrote a good amount for... Easy, along with Cube on Straight Outta Compton, became almost his exclusive writer afterwards, including having written more than half of Easy Does It by 1987 and staying with Ruthless to become their pretty much main solo act. But as he started and into his solo career after NWA, released two albums that both went platinum. <laughs> it's kind of easy to forget about MC Ren throughout all the hoopla that comes along with, with NWA, but he has some success that many people could definitely be proud of just alone, starting with first his EP in 1992, which was kiss my black ass sold over 1 million copies in a month. Now today it sold 2.2 million copies in the U S the second project was an LP shock of the hour, which sold over 1 million records. That was in 1993 in November of 93. So without a shadow of a doubt, make no mistake about it. Ren has had success as an MC and was respected at that particular time because he had a lethal pen as well. So he took a lot of the heavy lifting when it came to this album in regards to writing for easy E in particular, and then also for himself. But then on the production side, seeing the work that was done by Dr. Dre and Yella, and particularly with the focus on Dre, you could argue by listening to this album that this is probably just as good as an effort as him producing on Straight Outta Compton. As a matter of fact, a lot of people in reading some of the articles and reviews of this will say that it rivals some of his best work ever and stands up there with some of the other things he did even later on in the 90s particularly with The Chronic, and then also later on with Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style, and then with his own efforts in 2001. I'm almost tempted to say that Dre was inspired by the production that was done on Cube's America's Most Wanted, the production handled mostly by the Bomb Squad. We talk about that sonic wall of sound that appeared on not only America's Most Wanted, but also on Public Enemy's own Fear of a Black Planet. You hear that a lot on the tracks here on Approach to Danger, on Always Into Something, on Appetite for Destruction, those type of, you really hear almost a similar type of 
homage, if you could, to what the Bomb Squad was doing and building a sonic wall of sound, really taking so many different elements from samples and building upon them that it's almost like some elements are even unrecognizable to the untrained ear. But he did great work on these. And in reading some of the articles where the details of making this album came to light, a lot of folks who were involved in this, even the engineers, the bass players, um, they relied on a lot of live instrumentation when it came to some of the drums and guitars and bass lines that were being used. A lot of them said that, you know, regardless of all the drama that was happening, the beef between them and Cube and everything else that was happening, it seemed as though NWA was finally starting to come across, uh, come apart at its seam. There was really no drama in the album being made itself. It was a very cohesive and focused effort that uh, Ren would come in, that Yellow would come in and do his work early, and Dre would come in late and would sit there and work through the music and run the sessions, and everything was pretty much fine, which led to, production-wise, I think, a very focused effort. Now into a little bit more of the content in regards to what they were talking about on this album. This album to me has is to me a really a big middle finger to Cube. And this is fresh off of Cube pretty much having the number one rap album in the country being hailed as one of the best MCs in the game when nobody really thought that Cube would step out and have as much success as he did early. And NWA obviously because of the nature of their breakup and him leaving took that personal. <laughs> so you hear that in a couple of the songs here where they talk and reference Cube directly. You hear that from Versus with Ren and with Easy e and also with Dre. I think that they wanted to step up and make a statement that they can make this album without Cube, that he was not the end-all, be-all to NWA success. The other part of this album as well is the content. <laughs> in many ways, I would almost say in every way, this album is a lot more explicit, definitely a lot more misogynistic, and definitely a lot more vulgar than straight out of Compton. It's <laughs> as DOC explained in an interview, he said when you had cube who would sort of intersperse a lot of this gangster talk and talk about stuff in the ghetto with social issues that were being construed during of, of that day, you all you got as to what he said, DOC was nigga shit. <laughs> and that's really the best way that I can describe what this what goes on in this album it's really a lot of nigga shit the <laughs> it's um it's vulgar it's uh, definitely misogynistic and a little hard to listen to even 30 years after the fact i mean the first half of the album we jump right into it straight from the prelude to the real niggas don't die the niggas for life and then the interludes that you hear with the protest interlude and the don't drink that wine and you know, then you get into these other interludes like to kill a hooker. Like this is it's it's something that it's a little jarring even after 30 something years of listening to it. I'm like, damn, this is rough. And I can only imagine what it was like the climate even then back in 1991. It explains why so many people were against this album and why NWA ran into problems and criticism from people like C. Dolores Tucker and also with the uh, Parents Music Resource Center and uh, having the music banned when it first shipped copies over to, over to the United Kingdom before it was deemed it was able to be released and the public could consume it as well. You definitely get that feeling as to why that happened because of the content on this album. Nonetheless, uh, I will have to say uh, props uh, to MC Ren because he handles the heavy lifting on this album without a shadow of a doubt. 
you can see his talent shine through on this album and his skill as an MC. Dr. Dre having great lyrics written written for him. Dr. Dre having great lyrics written for him by the DOC. You can hear that voice and see why it makes Dre such such appealing as an entertainer and as a performer because he has the voice and everything you need to really be a really effective rapper. But you can tell it was still very early for him and he was still getting used to that voice. And in particular, when you don't write your own lyrics and somebody else is writing for you, they can convey how they want you to portray the verses and they can come out well, but it's not as well as the person who may have written those lyrics that can speak them themselves. Obviously, DOC couldn't. And then Easy in this record, to me, seems a lot more confident, but definitely provides the comic relief throughout the album that keeps things entertaining to a certain extent. But now I'm going to get into my highlights. So my highlights, obviously, I mean, Drace and Yellow's production on here, obviously a highlight throughout the album you can listen to. It's really, really inventive production. A lot of different samples being used on here. I mean, even just on Appetite for Destruction, uh, using Funky Stuff by Cool and the Gang, Niggas versus the Police with Richard Pryor, Get Me Back on Time, Engine Number 9 by Wilson Pickett, and Think About It by Lynn Collins. Um, seeing something like Always Into Something, you hear samples like Stone to the Bone by James Brown, Storm King by Bob James, Sneaking in the Back by Tom Scott and the LA Express, and Remember by Jimi Hendrix, among others. So you get and hear that the layering of this production and how intricate it is, this is a highlight to me. But tracks for highlights, um, obviously, I love everything from Prelude to Niggas for Life, the first three tracks. Really hard-hitting. Uh, Got to give props again to MC Ren for doing his thing on there. Appetite for Destruction is one of my favorite NWA tracks, and particularly because of the work that Ren does on this and also the verses by Eazy-E. Always Into Something is a highlight of mine as well. That sample that you hear, the James Brown sample and Bob James sample, Danger, which is one of the last a few tracks on there, is in the highlight. And being able to hear the vocal effects that are sort of that you hear on Approach to Danger and reading uh, some of the background of what Dre did in regards to processing those vocal effects to make them sound a certain type of way. And The Days of Wayback, which is the last track on the album, which uh, features verses by Ren and Dr. Dre is a good way to close the album out. And Real Niggas, without a shadow of a doubt, um, is another one of my highlights. As far as lowlights are concerned, uh, I mean, I really wasn't a big fan of Automobile. <laughs> and also, I, I could get what they were doing with I'd Rather Fuck You, which is a play off of Bootsy Collins, I'd Rather Be With You. <laughs> and we've heard a lot of people sort of do a remake of that You've heard that song being sampled in another West Coast artist, Tupac's I'd Rather Be a Nigga, you know. So, I mean, it's a popular track that I've seen a lot of West Coast artists sample. But I really wasn't a big fan of those. Automobile, even listening to it now 30 years later, I was just like, yo, this is crazy. I think we just need to go ahead and press skip. And that's exactly what I did. And I was kind of tempted to press skip on I'd Rather Fuck You, but, you know, I, I pushed forward on that too. You know, I I... I was tempted to skip I'd Rather Fuck You Too, but I let that ride out a little bit. You know, I didn't really have a big problem with She Swallowed It. I thought it was, um, you know, again, we talk about how far this album went in regards to it being vulgar. It's just, a, you know, took and 
took the stakes of it up to another level. Um, the interludes, I think, are fine. I think, you know, there's part of the entertainment aspect of the album. They took and used that and put that in the album. And at this time in the early 90s, interludes and skits were starting to become really, really popular in albums. So, you know, I don't really see a real a big problem for, problem with them for that. But uh, those are my highlights and my lowlights. Uh, again, props to MC Ren, props to DLC and his writing, and props to Dre and Yella for producing. You know, reading also an article on You Discover Music, they talked about how this album really bridged the golden age and gangster rap. Now, we can have conversations in regards to what people think a golden age is. Um, a lot of my older heads will tell me that the golden age of hip hop was between 1986 to 1990. And uh, uh, other people, my generation, will say that that golden age could be anywhere starting from 1992. You, some say it stopped in 96. Others will say it went on to 1998. You know, so that is subjective. That can be, you know, up for interpretation in regards to who thinks whatever the golden age was. But I will say that with that transition from the late 80s into the early 90s, you could see, and I mentioned this as well on my review for De La Soul's De La Soul is Dead, you could see when the transition it was happening. And this was the transition from heading into pretty much the West Coast beginning to dominate music to when Death Row really became a factor and became the top label in the game. Directly after this, Dre leaves NWA and goes and starts Death Row. Death Row comes along. You hear the deep cover soundtrack. Goes into the making of the chronic. Afterwards, you get doggy style. Right after that, it's like back to back to back to back to back. And then that becomes the forefront of hip-hop. For at least a solid two to three years, that becomes the, the focal point of hip-hop. It sort of just brings that link from one era to the next. And... This was sort of the prelude to that. I think that it was getting you ready for an era of music that if you thought that this was crazy and out of control, what you would saw over the next couple of years would definitely ride out and take it over the top. And for some people, especially for those who are fans of West Coast hip hop and can appreciate what they did for the game, will say was good for the game in some respects. Others will say, of course, that it ruined the game. I'm not one of them because I think that every region, every style sort of brings something to hip hop. And all I care about is good music. And it was some damn good music that came as a result of that era. So now we're going to get into the test, the final test to see what it is we think, see whether it's a certified classic, borderline classic, classic just in its time or not a classic at all. And I am of the belief that I will say that this is a borderline classic. And I am going to rate that on a scale of about, seven out of 10. And I'll tell you why. I think that there are some great things that you see on here that you didn't necessarily see on straight out of Compton. And, uh, you know, definitely the production I thought took a step up. I thought that Dre was really starting to find himself truly as a hip hop producer. And you would see, he would take that into his death row career and then into his career as the head of aftermath and being the producer and curator of so many different acts, such as, Eminem, and then later on helping to curate 50 Cent. So I saw you see that. You see Ren really start to step up and assert himself being the main MC that had to take the mantle and sort of lead NWA in that sort of respect. Those are the things that I think are really highlights. And I think that there are some 
tracks here that are things that you can look at and say are honestly probably some of NWA's most impactful and also best tracks. But to me, mm, the interludes, yeah. I mean, being able to see that there are a couple of tracks on here that I honestly could skip, and you really can't help but to notice Cube's absence on this. Like DOC said, he was the soul of NWA. And when you left NWA and you didn't have his pen really being able to balance things out, you honestly got a bunch of nigga shit, which NWA wanted (laughs) and some people like. But to me, I would have to say borderline. And I'm right at there about seven out of 10 because while I like this album, while sonically it does, it is pleasing to the ear at times, especially production wise, there's something sort of missing for me here. You know, it's a borderline. I think had we gotten another NWA album with Cube, it would have been probably, it definitely to me, I think would have been the conversation to be a certified classic, but that's not the way that history made things out to be. And this is the album that they came out with and it was their last album, but definitely had some success sold over a million records definitely was recognized by the game for being one of the top albums of this year. And the source in 91, they named this actually their number one album for top 15 albums in 1991. And there was a poll what MTV did in 2005 that states that this was the number seven hip hop album of all time, which I don't know who they were polling, but I don't, I don't know. No, <laughs> no, not at all. So there we are. NWA niggas for life. I'm saying it's a borderline classic. I definitely would love to hear what you all have to say about this and reading around social media and seeing some of the people who were fans of NWA and of West coast rap and of West coast hip hop. Some people were saying they thought this was better than Straight Outta Compton. I'm not going to go that far. But it's definitely a very, very dope album. And I think that on its merits, considering the circumstances, it's something that when you listen to it, you can see definitely that it has an impact well beyond just its placement and the sales and topics and things that were talked about here. There definitely is some redeemable qualities with this album. It was something if you're going to go out considering what they had, it's something that you want to go out on. And we all kind of hope the NWA would have gotten back together. But of course, that was derailed by a number of different things, namely the passing of Easy in 95, which now their music is forever memorialized because of him passing away. And we have this down their legacy to debate for years to come. So niggas for life, stylizes FO for Zagging. So make sure y'all go check that out wherever you download music. And read some of the articles. There's a lot of articles that have been posted as a result of the 30-year anniversary of this album. And then also the 25th anniversary for it that was done five years ago as well. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you check us out on our new host on Red Circle. You can also download, stream, and subscribe to The Vault on any one of our streaming sources. You can check us out in the bio and any one of our social media pages in our link tree. You'll get to all of our social media pages and also all of our streaming sources. You can get to the Vault Classic Music Reviews on Instagram on at Vault CMR Podcast, on Twitter at Vault Classic, and on Facebook and YouTube, you can search the Vault Classic Music Reviews Podcast, like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, interact with us on social media, let us know what you think. We do it here all for you. We appreciate the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure that that friend tells a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. 
And as we close, we'd like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate, and elevate because you were never destined or created to stay stationary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and follow us on Facebook at IV Creative and Instagram at IVECRE8.